Hi, you are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week, we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus dot ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA 1610AM and Greg Fenton. Tonight, our topic is called Culturally Adapting Cognitive Behavior Therapy for South Asians with Puneet Dillon and Amina Khan. And uh, each will be with me separately for the show. First segment will be with Puneet, and then the second segment will be with Amina. So I'm going to uh, engage with Puneet now and open the mic, and, and uh, we're going to have a good conversation. Hello, Puneet. Are you there? Yes. Yes, Greg. I'm there. Hi. Thank you very much. Appreciate you uh, calling in and uh, engaging with me in a conversation first. And then, as I mentioned, we'll mm-hmm. have Amana transition at the, the bottom of the hour, second half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a conversation on culturally adapting cognitive behavior therapy for South Asians. Mm-hmm. How about you first start off and share some information about your professional background? Yeah. First of all, Greg, I would like to thank you so much for inviting me for this show. I'm so glad to be here today. I appreciate so, it too. Thank you. So I'll talk about my uh, little bit of my educational background, and I'll, uh, then I'll talk about what I do now in Canada. Okay. I came with my doctorate in journalism and mass communication. I have experience of working with media and with radio, and then I came here to Canada as an immigrant and presently I'm working with PCHS, which stands for Punjabi Community Health Services, and I work as a research and communications analyst with the agency. So PCHS basically, it's a non-profit charitable organization that aims to improve quality of life by providing culturally appropriate services to the diverse communities. Uh Mm -hmm. And and what's its... um area of responsibility what's its catchment area we might say so we are basically a health service provider Mm -hmm. our services include but they are not limited to mental health addictions geriatrics settlement and social awareness so when we talk about social awareness we provide services in domestic violence we have parenting services and we also offer peer support and volunteer coordination and the languages. I know it mentions Punjabi, which is a language, though mm-hmm. does it also serve other languages that are comprised of the South Asian community? Yes, we do serve other South Asian communities. We have Tamil case managers, we have Gujarati case managers, and we even have Arabic-speaking crisis workers. So when we say it's Punjabi Community Health Services, so it's just the name of the organization, but predominantly we are serving, we, it's, it's not that we are not serving the mainstream community as well. We welcome all the communities, but it, we just go by the name Punjabi Community Health Services. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to ensure that the uh, listeners had a better understanding and not, mm-hmm. You know, words matter. Words can mean something, and people take understanding from the words that are presented or used. And yes. I, I know there's more to the story, especially for the organization yeah. that you work for. When did it, uh, when was it founded? So it started in 1990, and then it is accredited as among the top 3% organizations. And it's awarded by the Commission on Accreditation of Rehabilitation Facilities, which is called CARF. So that surveys around 703 for organizations in 20 countries around the world. So we have received this accreditation without any recommendations for the second time in a row. Very good. Very good. So when did you start working with the uh, organization? Oh, uh, I think it, it may fascinate me and you as well. So it's exactly two years back today I started working with PCHS. It's your celebration, your anniversary today. Yes, it's my work anniversary today. I would have gotten some special music for us, for you actually. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Well, that's great. So this mm-hmm. is momentous in, in terms of uh, a day special to you in your life and also mm-hmm. with regard to the work that you're doing with the organization. Mm-hmm. So what are the things that you most value in terms of the work you do within the community? 
So basically, when we talk about community, when we talk about South Asian community, it's it's a bigger term. So there are Sri Lankan community, there is Chinese community, there's Punjabi, Gujarati, and if if we just talk about only India, then there are diverse communities within one community. So I think what I value the most is I get to know them from very close quarters, working in the social sector, doing research in the social sector, and then working with all the diverse communities. I get to know them from very close quarters. I know their sociographics, I know their psychographics, I know their demographics with a more detail, and uh, that that makes me, you know, kind of experience as if I'm studying all these ethnicities from very very close quarters. And yeah. And working with that kind of uh, approach in terms of its mindset with a diverse community, how, how how are you affected by that kind of work? What, what does it do for you? So basically, uh, my work, it's not for the front line because I, I don't serve the clients. My mm-hmm. work is doing research for the agency. Right. So we come up with a research project. It's on needs assessment and it's not on what services are needed and how they could be delivered in a more culture, culturally appropriate manner, whether it is something to do with the language barriers, whether it is something to do with the access, recovery or the treatment of clients. So I don't deal as frontline worker with the clients. I stay in the hindsight I do research and I also propel the communication systems within the agency. So that gives me a rare view of all the needs of the communities where I come up with some plans and then I contribute in developing the strategic plan of the agency that these are the areas which need the most attention. Because um, I would like to mention we recently did a research project and the project's name was Meet Me Where I Am Project. So this was a wonderful project. So mm-hmm. what we did is that, having said that, we have a total stereotyping of mental health issues around the South Asian community. So the community doesn't step forward. Community doesn't seek help for these type of issues. There is so much of stereotyping of such issues in the community that they just keep on living with it. So what we did, we did a new approach of meeting our clients at the place of worship. Right. Yeah. In yeah, in South Asian community, what people do is usually this is a cultural, uh, I, I should say, practice that people just leave everything up to God, everything up to the destiny. Right. So the troubled people, people seeking help, people seeking any other type of aid, they are found in gurdwaras, they are found in temples. So what we did, our case managers, they went to the gurdwaras, they went to the temples, mm-hmm. and the response, it was overwhelming response from all those devotees, attendees, attending those religious institutions at that time. Mm-hmm. People came in large numbers to seek help, to know more about addictions and mental health. Sometimes they would say that, okay, this is me, I need the help, this is for me, I have been going through these issues. And sometimes what they would do is, they would just not name about themselves, they would say, oh, okay, one of my friends, mm-hmm. he's having these problems, so what should we do, where should we go? So that project was successful. Right. You know, my, my background too is in community development work. Yeah, I've been Jane and Finch of uh, North Toronto. Mm-hmm. for a number of years for an agency yeah. called Conflict Mediation Services of Downsview on Eddystone. No longer in existence, which is a reality for many not-for-profits, nevertheless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I learned very soon within my work that you can't expect the community, if you're going to present some initiatives work, mm-hmm. to come to you. I think the ideal principle is that we go to where the, the clients or the uh, community members are and where they congregate yes exactly and one more thing i would like to add here greg so when we talk about such issues which are taboo typically in some particular religion or some particular culture so you just have to trigger the reaction you just trigger it and then the whole thing follows it like a chain reaction. So there was one person and then all those people started following that person just by saying, okay, he's there, there must be some help available. So I, I, I think you just need to trigger it and then the chain reaction follows. Yeah, and, and I would say that when you look to trigger it or let's say stimulate it yes. to activate it in some way mm-hmm. to the conscious mm-hmm. level, yeah. that you also have available some kinds of means to ass- uh, assist and support mm-hmm. those who are affected or being triggered in some way so that yes. they can then best navigate through in a healthier 
manner to transition from where they're at to hopefully a better place. And I think that's why you create these initiatives to help mm-hmm. support the community. Yes. And you mentioned earlier about the stigma, you know, the stereotypes within the community. Mm-hmm. Are those coming from within the community solely or are they also external where the the broader community imposes okay. that kind of identification onto people? Mm-hmm. So basically, Greg, when we talk about the stigma, so they come at every stage of any person who's dealing with mental health issues. So if we uh, we at Punjabi Community Health Services, so we follow the system or we follow this model of access, treatment, yeah, right. and then recovery stage. Yeah. So these stigmas are associated with all those levels of whether the person is not speaking or, or is reluctant to seek access or whether the person is going through the treatment or whether the person is in the recovery stage. So they come from the culture, they come from mindsets, they come from religion. Because if we just look at the South Asian culture, so this is so heavily dominated by the religion that anything, anything which is existing within our community is coming from religion. For example, if we talk about pain, if we talk about pain of having some mental health challenges, so what would happen is they will not try Mm-hmm. They will not try to seek out resources. But first thing which will come to their mind is, I was destined to bear this pain. Mm-hmm. God has given me this pain. I have to do this. I, I cannot get rid of this pain, howsoever hard I try, because the destiny who has put it on me is powerful than any type of counseling, any type of medication or anything. I cannot get rid of it, howsoever hard I try. And second thing, People also believe in karma. So when they say, I have been given this pain, I have been given this problem, Mm -hmm. so probably I have done something wrong in my past life. That is why I'm experiencing this pain. For example, I I, I just remember it from my childhood days that I I, I was very young, probably 10 or 11 years. Mm -hmm. I was walking to temple with my mom and I I had some stone hit my feet and it started bleeding off. So I was in pain and I started crying and then I asked just asked my mom, like, Mom, I was going to see the God's house. I was going to the Gurdwara and the temple. Why did I get this punishment? So just like being so innocent like a child. And my mom said, you should be thankful. You were going to get God mm-hmm. and God gave you this reward, this award. You have to take it with happiness. I could not understand it at that time. But now, you know, they just take it as God's gift, even if it is pain. So these things are so, so heavily embedded in our culture, so deeply embedded in our culture, and they come from all type of mindsets, all type of, and even our folk stories, everything that was conditioning of mind, and everything is so deeply associated with religion, pain, bearing of those things, that you can't get rid of them and you should not try to get rid of them yeah that's the expectation that comes from within the culture this is to be this is the expected we are as you mentioned we are required to live with this and we are required not to actually try to seek change of it because it's our destiny our destiny right exactly So, so more specifically for us tonight there is a recent initiative that's mm-hmm. been developed, titled, and I'll get mm-hmm. this, it's a bit uh, extended, Development and Evaluation of Culturally mm-hmm. Adapted CBT, which stands mm-hmm. for Cognitive Behavior Therapy, to mm-hmm. improve community health services for Canadians of South mm-hmm. Asian origin. So let's open that up to better understand CBT mm-hmm. uh, in terms of cognitive behavior therapy. Start first with some kind of information to explain what mm-hmm. CBT is from a traditional sense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Greg, CBT, as we all know, that it stands for cognitive behavior therapy. We know that there are it, it's a focused approach to the treatment of many types of those emotional, behavioral, and psychiatric problems. So, there are various ways to, of application of CBT. So, in this project particularly, we, we are talking about the culturally adapted, culturally adopted CBT. So, we, as I mentioned, that we have these three stages here. We have access, we have treatment, we have recovery. So I will talk about all the modifications which the culturally adapted CBT can bring to these three stages one by one. Well, 
so give uh, is there something that you could sort of say or lat- for the listener to to identify this is the construct this is how traditional CPD is because mm-hmm. the purpose of the program uh, the pro the initiative will say is mm-hmm. to adapt the traditional model into something that's more culturally appropriate within yeah. the South Asian community so is there definitions that you could say with CBD and then we could segue into say okay these areas have been modified and they've been modified this way etc so yes exactly that that's what where i was coming to so when we talk about any type of therapy which is modified according to some particular culture that means the deeper level understanding of that culture before serving the client because every client comes with a unique background, unique mindset, unique traditions, unique religion. So when the case managers who are highly fluent with those things and those mindset and presumptions of the client and they give therapy, they treat that person and they help in recovery of that person. So then we call it a culturally adapted therapy. Right. And in terms of taking that model, why was th- that model identified as the model that we were then seeking to adapt particularly to the South Mm -hmm. Asian community. What is it about that model? So uh, about this model, as I told you, that this is unique to the South Asian people because they have a unique culture. So if we talk about mental health issues, because anyone going for CBT definitely has some mental health issues, which will be identified, which will be uh, pronounced by the clinical or supportive counselor. So when that person goes for counseling, they bring with them those cultural tags and their thinkings and their predetermined mindsets to the counselor. I'll just give you a small example, Greg. Like if we just encounter or we meet a client who comes with a mindset that I have been possessed. Something, I am in possession of some spirits and... Some some kind of force that's come externally... That's exactly. come internally, and now yes. I can't manage my life properly. Exactly. So I'm controlled. I am possessed. So what would the regular CBT do here? We need to bring in the cultural aspects. We need to bring in the aspects, those who will give the client an understanding of this type of problem and this type of pronunciation by the client. Because when we say that, okay, the client has come up, we need to give that comfort level to the client so that the person is able to give proper disclosure of his or her problems. If the case manager on the other side is not able to connect with the client, then that person will not disclose. And there is one more thing that which is giving it a big backlash that in West or in mainstream cultures, the problems have been pronounced, mm-hmm. but those problems still have not been addressed to the proper level. For example, if we just talk about women who are killed in peace, there has been a recent example that the woman who was shouting and, and saying that she's unsafe, she, she has threat from her husband, mm-hmm. but the person was again not given the restraining order, and as soon as he was released, he just went and killed the woman and two kids. So these problems, these were given disclosure by the client in the mainstream, but still that problem was not addressed. We still have cases of homicides. We still have cases where kids and women have been killed in the region of Peel and probably in the other region as well. So when we give a disclosure, but the problem has not been properly addressed by the service providers, so that doesn't give a proper connect within the client and within the case Mm -hmm. manager. So when we say that we provide a culturally adapted therapy, so this culturally adapted therapy provides and allows to understand that how do you openly accept the disclosure? How do you create a situation where the person can openly, fairly, and Mm -hmm. thoroughly disclose about their feelings, about their fears, about anything which they are going through at this stage? So we have to create those situations. For example, if the person is saying, as I mentioned earlier, if the person is saying that, okay, I have been possessed, okay. So any culturally trained, skilled case manager will say, okay, I agree that you are possessed. So what do you want to do? I want to go to Gurdwara to -hmm. do this, this, these ceremonies, Mm -hmm. to do these rituals. So would you come along with me? Any mainstream would not do this. So the culturally skilled person, the culturally skilled CBT case manager will be able to understand all these things. Another example, how about like we say 
I have been given an evil eye by someone. My child was doing totally fine before this person gave me an evil eye. Mm-hmm. So these concepts need to be brought in. So I, I think, you know, any change mm-hmm. such profound that's so entrenched within a community, yes. it has to build trust, right, for them exactly. to feel that they feel, quote, safe in exactly. a way to be unsafe because when people do get triggered, they're going to a vulnerable place and they're opening themselves to the unknown. And mm-hmm. so they have to feel that they can trust with whomever is there to help and support them, to assist them to hopefully to a better place, right? Yes. And so self-awareness too would be necessary from somebody, a professional. I mean, the mm-hmm. whole issue with the police and responding to mental health calls and many of them turning into unfortunate circumstances where someone's died Yes. not being the best way to support somebody in a mental health state. It's not criminal exactly. behavior. Mm-hmm. So there has to be this culturally aware uh, practice, training, yeah. education. And yes. so with regard to the the project, the initiative itself, mm-hmm. what other components are adapted from the traditional model to be able to be transitioned more seamlessly within mm-hmm. the South Asian community? So one of the most important aspect of this model will be on the circle of care. So we call it a circle of care model. If we look at the model which has been followed by the regular CBT case managers or the service providers, so they highly, highly uh, give, they give the most important to the consent previously. So when we talk about culturally adapted therapy here, so we develop a circle of care model, mm-hmm. which we include the family of the person, in which we include the peer support, social network of that person, so that because that person is not alone who is suffering from this thing. The whole family is suffering. So we include the whole family within that circle of care model. Just to explain it better, I will give you an example. Let's say there is a person who is coming that I am depressed for Mm -hmm. um, some reason, I've not been doing well, and my wife has not been having good relationship with me and uh, I always keep stressed out and uh, she is the one who does all the things wrong. She So he puts all the blames on the wife. Mm-hmm. So here we need to understand that within the South Asian culture, this is a trend of exploiting the vulnerable person to justify what is happening. Always the blame will be put on the daughter-in-law, the blame will be put on the daughter and most cases, the blame will be put on the wife for justifying anything which has gone wrong. So if the person is skilled enough, if the person is well-versed with the South Asian client, he may be able to identify that probably this is not a mental health issue. Maybe this is a husband-wife conflict. A skilled counselor will be able to identify that, that I will have to treat this as a family conflict. I will have to treat it treat it as a husband-wife conflict. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, my case will fall through the cracks. No matter howsoever hard I try, I can give them culturally adapted because my diagnosis of the problem is wrong. The problem may not be the depression. The problem may not be any other mental health issues. The problem may be the family conflict right. because we have a trend of always blaming someone who is at the most vulnerable position within the family, which unfortunately happens to be the women in the family. Yeah, and that's very easily where, as you mentioned, things can fall through the cracks because someone yeah. will say, no, that's not our area, that's not our mandate, mm-hmm. go somewhere else. Exactly. And then someone else will say that. And if people are not equipped with the right knowledge and skills mm-hmm. to yeah. help support and assist people struggling with mm-hmm. these profound matters, Mm-hmm. the situation will exacerbate or continue and deepen and get more problematic and mm-hmm. thus this project and how long is it going to go on for so this project we have funding for uh, march we have funding till march 2022 right i mean the i i, I know from my reality with working with community development it's like when you get funding for a project initiative mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you go and engage the community and it yeah. makes a, a significant change, a tangible mm-hmm. change. And then mm-hmm. the funding ends. <laughs> then what happens to the community members with whom you've engaged and also the ones who haven't been accessed yet to get mm-hmm. the, the required attention that would be so helpful for them. So exactly. we have to transition very soon with you because mm-hmm. of the time. I, mm-hmm. I know we could spend a lot longer 
with this. Mm-hmm. We, we, maybe we'll figure something else out. What does having this conversation mean to you? Uh, I think most important thing which matters to me about this conversation is that I'm able to address the community. I'm able to talk about the importance of culturally adapted services, which needs to be provided to the community because we live in Canada. And this is a land of diversity. So there is a high need of providing services according to the culturally appropriate needs, according to the uniqueness of that particular culture, of particular client we are serving. And I think I'm also able to little bit touch around the taboos and stereotypings which are prevalent among South Asian communities. So which I think it, it needs a lots of more discussion. It needs lots of more uh, churning. So we can probably have another session on yeah. how these taboos could be dealt with, why these exist. So th- this is one of the most important things which I think I'm able to talk to my community about. For sure. I'm totally about public education, awareness, Mm-hmm. as a starting point, though I'm really about action, trying to implement appropriate measures, especially yeah. about culturally appropriate ones, yes. to engage the community because it's useless to create yes. a project or initiative that mm-hmm. won't connect with the focused community. Yes. And the focused community will not connect with it. Exactly. So thank you very much, uh, Puneet, for doing this. Thank you, Greg. Thank you so much. We'll speak again soon. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. So we're going to transition, and I'm going to speak with someone else who's been involved with the uh, initiative. And uh, welcome, Amina. You there? Thank you so much. Yes. Okay. All right. My technical skills are are okay. I think I passed the exam. (laughs) Welcome to uh, the conversation. How about you start off a little bit uh, of information about your professional background? please. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, First, I want to thank you so much for uh, inviting me uh, to speak with you today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Okay, good. So what's your profession, Uh, please? Yeah, for sure. So I am a research assistant at Punjabi Community Health Services. Um, For my educational background, I completed a specialist in psychology at the University of Toronto. And I have worked on uh, multiple research projects uh, in healthcare as a research assistant. And right now, I am currently also a master's, a clinical psychology master's student. Um, and my research interest is uh, developing treatments uh, that are more accessible to diverse populations. Right. And so I, I understand your role with the particular initiative has ended officially. Um, yes. And. I'm going to put the name out there again. I mentioned it earlier. The formal name is Development and Evaluation of Culturally Adapted CBT to Improve Community Health Services for Canadians of South Asian Origin. So your role with that, what, what was it that, uh, I think it was the end of July, right? You finished with that? Yeah, yeah, it just ended last week. Um, so I, w- I'm a research ass- I was a research assistant on the project. Um, and what uh, research assistants are doing on this project is uh, doing recruitment. Um, we're educating other organizations um, about the study so that they can, um, you know, um, identify members who maybe want to participate. Um, and we are also trained to conduct the interviews with um, key stakeholders in the South Asian community. Uh, that will provide the data for which we will adapt the CBT from. Right. So as a researcher, what type of information or data is important for this initiative? How can it help support itself? What are you looking to gather? So we are hoping to speak to four different groups of people, um, uh, individuals in the South Asian community who uh, identify as having depression or anxiety, um, caregivers of any um, members of those um, who, who identify as having um, depression and anxiety, uh, community leaders, uh, and mental health professionals who have worked with South Asians. From these groups of people, we want to hear about their perceptions of cognitive behavioral therapy or talk therapy in general, mm-hmm. um, their perceptions around disclosure. Um, self-disclosure uh, is different from culture to culture, um, um, we want to understand um, their point of view of like from a collectivist point of view of how much family involvement they would like in therapy. And that differs 
um, for, between cultures as well. Uh, perceptions around mental illness, specifically uh, anxiety and depression. Um, many South Asian languages don't have a clinical term to identify anxiety and depression. So how do we talk about these things? Um, any information around how they feel their culture and religion tells them how they should feel about their mental illness or what it means. Right, yeah. And Puneet had presented, you know, the entrenched, I would say, and you tell me if it's wrong, the entrenched mm -hmm. mindset within culture of South Asians that this is destiny, this is meant to right. be, and we have to leave it up to the powers that be, God, to, you know, we were chosen to experience this. And so this initiative is trying to transform that kind of mindset to say, hey, it may not be necessary to deal with it the way you have traditionally. There are other options. Right. I think actually that's put incredibly well. Um, you know, just because you're experiencing something um, doesn't mean that it has to last forever. Maybe there are options uh, or therapies or some kind of thing that you can do that would, uh, you know, end this suffering for you right now. Um, or, you know, in some time. And that's something that I think will take time to evolve. And that's going to be a key thing to focus on as we speak to the South Asian community and understanding, like, how they could maybe, maybe they might come up with ways in which it's okay for that thing to be transformed for them. Yeah, and I think it's so critical. My, my background's with community development work, too, too and up in mm -hmm. the Jane Finch community of North Toronto. So understanding that... Uh, when community-based agencies are there and they're looking to connect with the community, that it's so imperative that whatever they're going to present for community service engagement has to come at a culturally appropriate way. It's client-centric. Right. You don't expect the client to come and adapt to the system. The right. system needs and would be best to adapt to the client or the community member. That's exactly it. And during these interviews that we will conduct, we want we want findings to emerge. We want to have discussions with them where they say something that could be a like a breakthrough, or we we find patterns we didn't expect, um, and that can inform the development of a therapy that will be easier for them to access. Right, because you start out with some kind of you know understanding too about community development. When you go out to a funder, you create a you know, proposal that has a whole bunch right. of things you expect to engage with, and then you create a, 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 pro, uh, a budget that you need funding in order to support the engagement of that, the, the development of that work. And I, I would think that this kind of initiative is living. And by that I mean, as you do things, you experience things, and then you get a reality check, and you have to adapt to the moments of that. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think that would definitely be fair. And I feel like the way this project is designed, um, you know, the first phase we will speak to members of the community and whatever emerges from that will be used to develop the CBT. And then in the second phase, we will test the CBT against the standard. And then in the third phase, they'll be training the community and then seeing how it's, how it's doing in the community. And I feel like throughout those phases, there will be many moments in which a finding will emerge that will have us change how we, we view something. Um, and I think that's what's pretty great about this project is it's designed to have so many different checkpoints. Yeah, to, you know, it's about accountability for one. It's about right. doing things in a healthy and safe way because mm -hmm. you are dealing with vulnerable individuals. And right. They have to trust the individuals who are seeking to assist them or who say they are seeking to assist them. So how do, you, how do you get the message to build the trust with public education and engagement? Like you're going out to the community where the community gathers, especially at the temples, the houses of religion, that how can people, when they you present something, how can it sort of a light bulb go off within their mindset to say, hmm, maybe even if it's not them, they know someone else who might be experiencing something? Um, I, I can actually speak to that from some of my experience talking to different community organizations sure. within the greater Toronto area. Um, you know, when I when I was reaching out to these organizations to tell them about this project, 
and to ask them if they would want to share information about it to recruit participants, I was I was pleasantly surprised to hear about a lot of excitement from these organizations about this particular project and how they really felt there was a need. Um, so I think that there is some tide shifting and an interest in a project like this. Um, and I think, you know, talking to people, whatever questions they had, I think it was a real priority to make sure that the person I was speaking to really heard everything. And I, I provided them a lot of opportunities to ask questions. And I think that is the best way, I think, to disseminate this kind of knowledge. Yeah, I mean, even the framing of the initiative itself is critical, too. I'll just right. speak it from my own experience. When I was with uh, the agency up in Jane and Finch, we created a project that's specific to Iranian community, the newcomers mm-hmm. who were migrating and trying to transition, integrate, quotely, instead of assimilate, integrate into the broader society. And it was focused on domestic violence issues because it was found that individuals were coming from their home country, their source country, and migrating and carrying with them a lot of their traditional customs, beliefs, practices, and mindsets. And they would practice that here, and it might be in conflict with the broader societal uh, values, if you want to call it. And Mm -hmm. there would be these issues. So it was very early identified not to use the word domestic violence or violence at all within the the, uh, title of the project. The uh, the project was titled Iranian Family Wellbeing. So instead of being framed from a traditional sense of domestic violence, which is perceived as negative, it was framed from a positive well-being. And that was trying to, you know, basically recruit people to, who were experiencing deeper within their relationships, intimate ones and family ones, these whole underlying issues, that they may not have felt safe to come out. And so I, I believe totally that, you know, this kind of approach that you're working with is the kind of way to do it holistically too. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think language is really important. I think specifically too with the South Asian community, as I mentioned, you know, earlier, like some South Asian languages don't have a a clinical term for depression or a clinical term for anxiety. So how we talk to people about uh, mental health, it it has uh, has to accommodate for that. You have to uh, you know, uh, and I know you talked about this with Panit as well, but you have to meet people where they are and yeah. use the language that they're using. Yeah, I mean, it has to be, it has to resonate where the light bulb goes off on the listener. And, uh, you know, I coach with students and I try to say, so who's responsible for understanding the message, the sender or the receiver? <laughs> so we have to be mindful that it's, there's a shared responsibility. I believe a little more, more onus is on the person who creates the message and Absolutely. sends that on so that they're very self-aware of their own sense of being in relation to another person and with whom they want to make sure that there's the most comprehension of understanding the message from the get-go so that it minimizes any potential risk or misunderstanding down the road. Yes, I, I completely agree with you. So in terms of uh, what you've been doing, so and it's ended now you've transitioned onto something else and i assume there's another research analyst or assistant involved carrying on the from the work you started right 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 um so uh, i while i was on the project i had the opportunity to recruit and uh we recruited um a lot of participants in the greater toronto area for the study uh right now the project is currently waiting approval to begin interviews Um, The initial plan for the interviews was to conduct them in person um, through focus groups and uh, in-person interviews. Um, You know, of course, due to COVID-19, things have definitely had to change. Um, The research assistants are being trained to do the interviews virtually. um, And once uh, the research board decides that we can proceed, uh, the interviews will begin. Yeah, it was a thing, a question I wanted to also explore about how is COVID-19 uh, affected the original intentions of providing the project to, especially with public education, because gatherings are also something that's sort of limited in terms of the numbers of people that you can access. So how, how have you had to adapt even the public education or the outreach with uh, COVID-19 happening? Yeah, it was definitely, it was an adjustment because we kind of were in the beginning stages of recruitment as soon as the pandemic began. 
And one of the challenges initially was figuring out how do we communicate with people while they're also dealing with COVID-19. Um, so it involves a lot of, you know, phone calls um, and trying to get the right person's email and, you know, a lot of patience because, you know, COVID-19 was happening to everyone and everyone had to adjust their, their entire plan around it. Um, one of the things that I think became uh, a, a great source of recruitment has been social media. Um, I, I, I connected with a lot of different individuals who um, work in South Asian communities uh, on social media, uh, who work in mental health on social media, and I asked them to, you know, share the flyer about the study, and that led to some recruitment, and there was a lot of interest there. Um, and I think I think social media was something that was kind of an unexpected avenue of recruitment um, after things changed. Right. So what information could you share that's come to light to this point of the, the initiative? I think uh, until we begin interviews, we won't um, be able to, like, answer that fully. Um, all I can say right now is that there's a lot of uh, interest from the South Asian community in Canada in a project like this, in participating in a project like this. And once the interviews begin, we will collect a lot of rich data that will inform um, what the South Asian experience is with mental health in Canada. And what would you, what, what is the project looking to do with the results, the data that is collected? So the, the data that's collected from the first phase of interviews will um, uh, be reviewed and themes will be identified. Those themes will be then adapted to the uh, current standard of, of cognitive behavioral therapy. Then we'll move to the second phase in which uh, um, they'll be therapists trained to uh, in the in the new model, and then therapists trained in the traditional model, and then they will be compared to see how effective it is uh, compared to the standard. And then based off of that, there will be training and then um, a, a third test, I guess, of how effective the therapy will be. Right. Answer this the best way you can. What has mm -hmm. unexpectedly happened with the project to date? I understand it hasn't gone to the phase of really engaging people, the, the mm -hmm. actual core people that you're looking to help support. What has happened unexpectedly? Has something happened unexpectedly? Well, I think, I think it was mostly COVID-19, um, yeah. you know, transitioning the project to virtual means. Uh, you know, it's, it's a different experience when you're conducting interviews uh, virtually rather than in person. It's not, it's not as um, easy to read how they're feeling or how, you know, their, their cues. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of an interesting part of the project is where we had to undergo some training to learn how to, you know, convey and communicate best over, you know, um, a phone or virtual interview. Right. Yeah. The, the remote, because uh, for me as an instructor or coach, I've had to transition from in-person deliveries to remote. And uh, honestly, my my perspective overall is uh, the in-person is uh, much more profound in terms of the quality of engagement that one can have. I, I completely agree with you. There's there's nothing like an in-person interaction. You can read each other better. Yeah. The conversation flows better. Um, and uh, But, you know, the situation is the way the situation is now. And, yeah. you know, there are a lot of ways you can have an effective conversation with someone through virtual means. Um, mm -hmm. And that's been a big part of our training as research assistants. Has there been resistance to the project that, you know, once you've started to reach out to stakeholders and the public community? No, I, I, I would say it's been pretty positive. I think uh, any, any like, uh, I, I've had long conversations with people where I've had the opportunity to explain the project in more detail. Uh, and, and from there, I feel like there has been a lot of interest from community leaders, uh, from mental health professionals who've worked with South Asians to participate in this kind of study and to share it with those they know. How would, how can, and I believe others can, how can other cultural groups benefit their communities through this kind of initiative that is particularly focused on the South Asian, though it's taking a traditional model, cognitive behavior mm -hmm. therapy, and adapting it to be culturally appropriate within the South Asian community, how can other communities also benefit? Yeah, I think, I think that's a really great question because I think this, you know, this project, like I've explained, will be a really like 
thorough testing of how well this this new CBT will be for South Asian community. And this will really kind of, I think, serve as a model or a really great example of mm-hmm. how best to adapt therapies for different uh, cultural communities. Um, and, you know, South Asians come from a collectivist culture. Um, and perhaps the way that, you know, the findings that emerge from this may uh, be beneficial for other collectivist cultures within Canada. Um, but primarily, I think that this study will serve as a model uh, that, you know, can be used to, to adapt other therapies and other to other cultural communities. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, for sure. South Asians are a very diverse community. It's not a monolith. It's not through no. one mindset and one religion and one language. It's very diverse, of course. And there are other communities out there of diversity in ethnicity, linguistically, that I, from my own experience, would greatly benefit from having situations uh, that could be helpful for their communities too. So at this point, uh, you may have mentioned it, what are the future steps for the initiative? What do you understand to be the next steps and then further on? I think the next steps are to um, carry out the interviews um, and adjust according to the findings um, and then identifying, uh, you know, major themes that are coming from it and then um, move on to adapting the therapy. Those are probably the next, you said next steps. I gave you maybe probably the next three steps, but probably to begin interviews. You know, it's like one step at a time. At the same time, it's like, this step will lead to another step, the bigger picture type right. of the vision of this. So how have you been affected by your involvement with this initiative and likewise with other research stuff? I, you know, as a human being, I believe we, we are affected by the work we do. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, you know, I'm a member of the South Asian community and I've always been interested in, uh, you know, mental illness and how as a community we can talk about it. Uh, and make it less taboo and make it something that we recognize as uh, as much as we recognize physical illnesses. Um, so for me, this experience has been really great because I've, I've gotten an opportunity to see that other members of the community are also feeling that need uh, and that there's a lot of openness to, to, this, to this kind of thing. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about what this means for the South Asian community in Canada, or you know, and what this could mean for other South Asian communities or and other cultural communities in Canada. Um, I think that it's going to be something that really um, normalizes mental illness in our community, and uh, to me, that's so exciting. Yeah, it takes away quote the stigma, and right, quote exactly. the other S, the shame that mm-hmm. people understand to be their reality yes i'm suffering from this another s i'm experiencing it and yet for whatever reason i can't do anything about it or feel i can't and so this is to provide some kind of mechanism to inject positive social change of the situations of tradition culturally to a more open-minded application that doesn't marginalize tradition or beliefs or customs right exactly and south asians in canada are one of the least likely groups to seek uh, uh, mental health treatment and i feel like this study at this scale um, you know is going to positively impact change in that area so we have to close out very soon what do you want people to learn from our conversation today I want people to feel encouraged, I think, about talking about mental illness, about talking about treatments for mental illness. Uh, I want people to feel like it's okay to normalize it, to come forward and talk about it, and that if in their communities, you know, maybe that hasn't been okay, that it's okay to challenge that. And I hope that through that, we can, we can talk about mental illness and make it something that impacts uh, that has less of a significant impact on individuals while they can seek treatment. Right, for sure. You know, I I find from just as a person, human being, that change is a struggle for most people. And uh, how they process their moments of change is really affects how the quality of that next moment goes, whether it goes down a negative path or a positive path. So my belief is that you're, what you're doing with this and Punjabi Community Health Services, etc., 
is a, a profound opportunity to inject that positivity within something that is traditionally perceived in a very negative light. How can people learn more about the initiative? So they can um, learn more about this initiative by sending an email to uh, Puneet uh, at Punjabi Community Health Services, and her email is uh, P-U-N-E-E-T at pchs4u.com. And they can also reach out directly to the study email that is cbt-sa at camh.ca. Um, and um, someone will respond to them and provide them with more information about the study. Right. What would you, what would you like to just uh, chat about? What are you on to now? What are you doing? You've moved away. Uh, yes, yeah, I've I've began my master's in clinical psychology uh, at Roslyn Franklin University uh, in Illinois, yeah. uh, and I'm I'm kind of uh, at the beginning of my research career uh, at my new institution, um, and I kind of want to continue to uh, learn about and research um, mental illness in uh, diverse communities and how we can make it more accessible and how we can make treatments more accessible. Um, and this is something I'm really passionate about, you know, and I'm really grateful I got to be part of this project at PCHS. Yeah. Uh, and I hope to continue working on it. Yeah, so you you can even do that from where you're at, which is in the States. Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay, anything you want to share as, uh, before we uh, close out for tonight? And I want to thank you and Puneet and also uh, Baldov for providing the opportunity to engage with this and help bring it to uh, another group of communities and uh, be informed by it. Yes, thank you so much for providing us with the opportunity to talk about this. Um, I'm really excited about the kind of change it will enact, uh, and this was a wonderful conversation. So thank you so much for asking me to be part of your show. Okay. All the best with your efforts. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. All right. Be well. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. So we're going to close out for tonight. You're uh, listening to Mediation Station on CHHA, 1610 AM.